you know, where we're going, understanding data is still going to be important. You know, GPT is not going to replace generating insights tomorrow. I mean, it will maybe at one day, but uh, not in this next career, I would say. Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Offos. Thanks for joining us in the OpStars podcast today. I have uh, Sylvain Gugliani. He is runs everything RevOps at Census. And I know uh, I've heard of Census. I know it touches on doing things around data warehousing. Can you explain like what Census does? Yes. Census allow any data team or operation team really to connect the world of the warehouse that is traditionally by like more like data team and IT team to the world of business teams such as Salesforce, Marketo, and et cetera. So what does that really mean? It's like we sync data that usually is trapped in your warehouse to tools like Salesforce. So we can take the action on it as people. So running workflows, running reports, things like that, like basically it's unlocking the power of your first party data, as we like to say. Got it. So like when I was doing RevOps at Yammer many, many years ago, one of the things that we did was really set up a data warehouse so that we can extract data from Salesforce and then align it with our user data in a data warehouse. So that's really where Census comes into play. It's kind of that connector between the two. Yeah, exactly. And the biggest benefit for operation team is like you don't need to need any engineering t- team to, to help you do the things. Like I think most people right now, when we talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, you know, we sent a Jira ticket to the IT or engineering team to get them to use the Salesforce API to get the data in our custom object here right in center, right? Well, Census, you really just connect Salesforce to Census, which is connected to your warehouse. And then you have like a no-code interface that allows you to kind of like pick the objects that you want to sync, get the data, you know, from like your user table, for example, in your warehouse, and you're going to map that field to your contact object in Salesforce. And, you know, you're going to say sync that every 10 minutes. So every time there's a new data being available and that's it, it just works. So no engineering required. That's kind of Right. So imagine being at a very data-centered company. You probably are pretty passionate about, you know, how you're using data in RevOps. Yeah, it's actually quite funny because my previous company at Pusher, we had like thousands of customers. We were kind of like PLG before it was called PLG, like, you know, thousands of paying customers, like 15,000 new users every month, things like that. And so we had a very small sales team. So we had to kind of like go through all of that data to prioritize the right leads, the right account, the right upsell opportunities, things like that. So data was like very core. And that's kind of like where I learned the rope of like leveraging data to unlock revenue. To be honest, I sense this is very, very interesting because if you think about census like TAM and like potential like market really is like, we're not talking about 15,000 new signups a month type of level. So it's like the data we use is less, I would say to find like the needle in a haystack type of vibe, but it's a lot more like to prepare the sales team. So it's going on a corporate like, hey, Don, you've been using Celsius for like six months. This is user strain. I saw that last week, Lisa tried to use feature X, Y, and Z. And so it's like a lot more to using data to bring confidence into the sales conversation, whether it's like during a POC, during a QBL or something like that. So it's less like using data to do crazy automation to find needle in the stack like it was at Pusher. It's more like using data to create like better quality conversation or confidence. At the end of the day, it's still using data to drive revenue, but it's two completely different ways of looking at it, I would say. So that's really interesting to me. Yeah, it's really, it's really finding ways to take data and automation and making the people and systems that you have better. 
Yes. I would say most company nowadays, and that's how I talk to our customers, is like nobody ever starts from scratch anymore. Like, you know, people know what are kind of like the baseline good practices are. Like it's all about doing them better to compete or to gain efficiency. Like, for example, of course we want a prevention. Like what people are like, yeah, we want to know before it happens, right? And so people have some sort of like semi-automation notification of like, hey, you know, usage is dropping or something like that. That's great, you know, but like what's really separate the good from the great is like having the extra layer of notification. So it's not just like, oh, the usage is dropping, which is usually it's too late. And so you get into a place where, oh my God, how we can salvage that account, right? Like at least retain the logos. And it's more about using data to see like early sign of potential churn. And so I'll give you an example that uh, I keep keep using all the time. It's like something that Figma does is like Figma have a metrics that is like, how many admins are active, right? So different type of roles in the organization. So for them, it's like, if one of, depending on ratio, like the number of admins activity decline over time, that is cause for concern. So it's not like, oh my God, it's churning next week, but like they basically know that if by losing activity in admin, it means losing champion, means like the new employees are not going to use Sigma. This means like in the future, mid churn, right? So like they're using this very small indicator to prevent churn at scale, right? For example. And so I think that's like another way of doing churn prevention using product data and automation that is just like, someone stop using us. Let's figure out what's happening. You're not working backwards. You're actually being proactive around preventing churn. Are those signals that you're trying to drive to the customer themselves? Or is that something where they have to kind of think about it and try to look at the data? Where do I start? Like, or is it, you know, self-evident? I think it's a bit of both, right? I think there's usually when we talk to customers or other company that advice, they're like, oh, you know, we need to consult. We don't know what you start. Like people have been talking about, we need to build this predictive machine learning models, but like, I don't know what you start, right? And so usually there's like very simplistic that is self-evident that you need to start like measuring, scoring to the chain prevention or like, you know, find up sale opportunities, right? It's like, hey, when there's more, the thing I always ask is like, hey, how are you charging your, for your product, right? It's like, oh, you know, we charge per seat, so we charge per number of document being created. It's like, cool, like, do you track that somewhere? Well, yeah, because that's how we charge our customer most of the time. Normally, they say, if there's one or two reports that is accurate in a BI tool, usually it's like the revenue one and the usage one, right? So usually you have your data there. And so like, okay, well, let's just put something simple. Like, you know, let's just say like when this number, the, this metric of usage number of document is changing month over month by 10%, which is a significant growth or decreasing by 10%, we're going to trigger an alert. Like, you know, this is not rocket science. And so at least you can starting with something very simple. And then... Once you're starting to see patterns, I mean, conversation and see, ah, oh, actually 10% is not that big of a deal for our business or this metrics, and that, then you're starting to have the right infrastructure in place or at least the right reporting in place to be able to, yeah, at the end of the day, do more like predictively analysis, right? Like a very simplistic one that I tend to recommend people to do is like regression analysis based on like success or churn. But like to be able to do that, you need a deep data set, i.e. a lot of users or accounts to, to be able to measure and a wide data set like a lot of facets, dimension, trade fields, whatever you want to call it. Because at the end of the day, if you're doing regression analysis of 100 customers out of 20 columns, what the model is going to tell you is like, the people who churn, they were churning. Cool story. Thank you. Right. You really have to figure out what data points to bring into, and the more data you have, the better, right? Yeah. This is like the interesting thing. And I think this is kind of like an issue in the ops world, if I say, say so, is like, you know, how good is the data, right? And so I think, I think about myself and other people I spoke to, is like, you know, if you take like your contact object in Salesforce, right? Like it's kind of like monetization of your customer. You're like, how many of those fields like you're 100% confident they are good quality, confident data? Like, you know, it's like, you're going to be like, yeah, 20 fields also, right? Maybe less. 
And then it's like, oh, but you, if I go to your Salesforce right now, done, right? Like you'll be like, but we have 250 fields on this contact object, right? And like, okay, can we run tests and reports on those fields? Then you'll be like, oh, maybe those tens. Okay. So these are like a tier two fields, tier three fields, right? And then you go down the list and then you're like, and those fields, I don't even know what they do anymore, right? This kind of thing. And so I think that that's why I go back to your initial question. It's like, you need to have confidence in a lot of those fields to be able to run model that then you can trust and run automation on. Because otherwise it's like, what's the best of running a model? If the data look that is going to spit out, you're going to be like, eh, I don't believe it. I was like, okay, well, you know, then why do the exercise in the first place? Right. So I think it's also about data quality, very important. I think that's like a core issue in Opswell is there's very little data set than data point that we actually trust that much to do anything with. Right. Like I know one of the challenges is like, you know, when you're trying to look at the activities of like a sales rep, you're relying on the fact that they have to log their activities. Well, if they're not logging their activities, your data quality degrades because if you're trying to determine like, okay, how many phone calls, how many emails does somebody have to send or calls to make? If it's not logged, you don't know what's happening. Well, then it doesn't really matter if you're running an analysis on it because it's not being tracked right in the first place. Yeah, exactly. I think a good example is also like in Adlin data, right? It's like you do routing and, you know, there's always something running routing. It's like, oh, this company is actually not HQ there because we're doing like regional based routing or territory based routing, right? It's like, oh, we do company routing based on company side. And it's like, ah, Salesforce didn't enrich this field. Well, there was something in the system. It's like it returns zero employee size. So it goes to the SMB segment. Actually, it's an enterprise company. You know, like all of those edge cases of data issues, like something that the, us people really feeling the pain on the day-to-day -day level, like day-to-day -day level, right? It's like whack-a-mole. Yeah. But I think that's where actually, you know, if you take a step back a little bit and it's like, that's why for me, like the warehouse and I see the upstream where the warehouse, like as a tool really shine, right? Because in the warehouse, what you can do is like, you can run a lot of tests on quality of data, right? And so I was talking to this ops person turn actually data analyst nowadays. It's like, you know, when you're in Salesforce, you want to do a test, sure, you have sandbox, whatever, but like testing, like the quality of your data is very difficult in Salesforce. While the warehouse, you can run normal tests on data, which is like, you know, I only as, as I accept like that this column, which is like a company side, only has like a numbers value in it, and it should be between range of X and Y. So then as soon as the, the data is out of range, then you're selling the test, and then someone's get alerted to fix the data, right? And so what you can imagine is like, if your router is using data that is being like clean, test and process, like you have a high confidence that every lead is going to go to the right person, right? In, in this example, right? And so it's the same thing for like regression model, modeling, all that stuff, right? Once you have that confidence in data because you've been testing it in the warehouse, then you can be like, Hey, we have this predictive model. It's using the data that we test and we have high confidence in. Actually, this is the same data that we're routing the leads from and nobody's complaining about that anymore. So. We're going to have a high confidence of those models being out like good insights or good like prediction, right? And I think that's where the, the warehouse comes handy next to Salesforce in the apps toolkit. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, warehouse is going to replace Salesforce. I don't want to use the warehouse because it's like a data team thing, right? It's like, you need both. If you want to be the best, you need both, right? I know one of the things that Salesforce, if you don't have a data warehouse, and I'd like to talk about that a little bit too, but like if you don't have one, you know, having to rely on Salesforce to track things over time is one of the most difficult headaches you run into because Salesforce tracking things and trying to report on things over time is something it's not very good at. So I know at Lean Data, one of the things that we use our, our data warehouse for pretty extensively 
is the analysis around opportunities, the type of opportunities that we have, the segment that that opportunity account falls under, and then over time, changes in stage that occur with that opportunity, you know, from its genesis through to its close one or close loss state. Once we had all that data and we went back like two years, you know, we went back when, I, when we first brought in a data warehouse and we said, okay, like we want to look at each of these types of opportunities, the different stages that they're in and these, the uh, segments that they fall into. And then we could actually look and see, you know, when an opportunity is closed one, we can model what the behavior of that opportunity looks like, how long it stays in stage one, how long it stays in stage two when an amount goes up and down, right? And then you can start aligning your existing open opportunities against that closed one pattern and say, okay, this falls with like a median range that's an acceptable tolerance or it doesn't. And if it doesn't, that's where you want to notify a sales manager of like, hey, you have a rep that has an opportunity that has been sitting at stage three for too long for it to behave in a way that's going to be a closed one opportunity. So like that kind of analysis is the kind of really neat things that I see that I've used data warehouse for to do analysis, you know, something that's very basic so that you can, from a RevOps perspective, you bring back that kind of model to managers to say, look, we have relative confidence that for this opportunity to be in a closed one pattern, it needs to be X, Y, Z. And this is not falling into that pattern. Therefore, we believe that this deal's at risk, even though it's at an early stage. Right. So you can really start flagging these things early to be able to tell the rep, hey, you might want to, we don't think you're going to close this within the date that you think it is based on the way other opportunities have performed. You know, we think it's going to close. It's going to take you longer to close it. So therefore, now when we're looking at a, a forecast, we could say these deals are going to close. These deals are not going to close, even if the rep says they are. Yeah. I think something, I mean, I'll ask you a question, but like you mentioned Yammer, right? But I think like how complicated it was to set up like a warehouse in your Yammer's day compared to now, right? Oh yeah, no, back then it was not easy. There were people on our engineering team that actually worked with me on the RevOps side and they were really the ones that were trying to leverage the Salesforce APIs and app them over and then, you know, things would change, things would break. We were trying to push data back into Salesforce from the usage side to be able to say, hey, here's like a user that's very high level of activity, but that's a free network, right? So those were kind of the ones that we were trying to identify for sales teams to say, hey, we have a free network that's very active and healthy. We need to go reach out to these people and convert them to a paid account. That's where we always knew we had a high conversion, but like syncing that data back and forth and mapping all those APIs, you know, that, that back then it was, it, was, it was something that was not easy to do. Yeah, no, yeah, I think that's kind of like where a lot of ops people still think that this is the true, like this is the normal, right? Like today, actually, to, to go back to what you talked about, like, you know, snapshotting opportunity as, as every change, like, you know, back then to do that was like very difficult. You would actually, to build this report that you just talked about, about like opportunity change and like pipeline, waterfall, chart and all that stuff, like you would go out and buy a tool like Clary for, you know, 100K because basically what does Clary do? Do the API, extra the data, save, actually store your personal data on servers, and you're just going to buy like tool for them to do all that engineering effort, right? Like, and nowadays to do what you just described, like, I'm pretty sure you can go to BigQuery right now. Of like, there's no code. There's nothing. You go to BigQuery, you say ingest my data from Salesforce, and then you say, I want a snapshot of this OpenGT object on an hourly basis 
that's it. You have not written a single line of code. And now every hours you're going to have like different variation of your object and you can just start querying it with like any BI tools you want or, you know, if you want to write SQL, like that. So things get a lot easier and a lot cheaper, right? And I think that's kind of like from an point of view where I think like efficiency and insight is always the number one thing that we need to worry about. Like I think the warehouse unlock all of those things. We're still not quite there yet of like, you know, one click, all the things, but like things get a lot cheaper, faster, easier, and you get a lot of super power from it. That's the job. Yeah. And then the other point to make there too, is like data storage in Salesforce is not cheap, right? It is expensive. You do run into limits on the amount of things you can store in Salesforce. So my goal has always been, well, then let's store it there. Like if it's static data that isn't going to change very often, let's pull it into the warehouse and leave it there. And if, if there is a change, you know, that's where we can manage it and not have to worry about it in Salesforce. Yeah, I think for that Salesforce, you know, Salesforce being Salesforce is like still charging you the price of storing data of like the 90s compared to what is the cost of storing data nowadays where it's like almost free on any cloud provider. But uh, that's Salesforce making money like that. But I think to your point again, like it's quite interesting that at its core, Salesforce is just a database with a, an okay UI on top of it that a lot of things that you try to do in Salesforce is really data modeling, data transformation, and data visualization one way or the other, right? I think that's the, one of the biggest kind of Salesforce is they made like data work look like a, a sales job. Like I always joke about that because at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's a database with a UI. Yeah. And again, like, and the data as it resides in Salesforce doesn't really do anything for you. And from a RevOps perspective, what we're trying to do is bring that data to life. Yeah, exactly. We want to be able to make those kinds of revenue decisions to drive growth at the company. And the data in Salesforce in and of itself doesn't really do anything. And that's really where the data warehouse can help you. So the talk you gave at OpStars was about how we used to do things in the old days and kind of like what we were doing at Yammer was kind of revolutionary back in like 2010. But like, how would you say that things that were, as part of your talk, doing things in the old days versus how we do it today I think the point you were making is we need to be scrappy, but all the tools are available out there for you to use. And I think a lot of companies, a lot of listeners to the OpStars podcast are kind of in that situation where maybe they haven't taken the step to get a data warehouse. They haven't made that leap. What would you say are some of the things that you know people could do that haven't taken that first step of getting a data warehouse? What are kind of the first things that you would recommend? Yeah, I think it's like today, I still fully believe like, you know, do things that don't scale, like do experimentation. So I think today, as you said, there's lots of tools that allows you to do those things quickly, right? Like one of the examples I gave in, in the talk was like, when I had to kind of like identify account that have a propensity of upselling, like back in the day, I had to do a lot of like data work, I had to write JavaScript code myself to build that front end to show to the reps team, like this is the dashboard where you can see who, like the usage growing over time, who is it, what to do with it, like yada, yada, right? Like I think today, one, all of that data is just accessible everywhere, right? Like if you think about product usage, like you can just go to segment.com, which I'm pretty sure your product team will be using to pipe data or post-hook or mix panel or whatever. That data is just sitting there. Like as an us person, yes, it would be nice if it's like in the warehouse and I can write SQL, but I can also just like export it as a proof of concept as a CSV file and then do a bit of VLOOKUP in Excel to be like, hey, every Monday I'm going to run this report to be like getting close to the usage threshold of like, based on their plan or something like that, as using that example, right? And then every Monday afternoon, you're just going to race to the salespeople and be like, yo, this account you own is mm -hmm. getting this, right? And again, 
If you use Airtable, which is like a bit more powerful than a spreadsheet, at least more user-friendly too, you could literally run like Slack alerts, like put like DMs of like DM own account owner and then press like run workflow and it will send them the weekly upsell DM or something like that, right? To them, like you can do all this thing kind of like semi-automated, a bit scrappy, right? And the goal is like run it for a month, like, you know, see if that's working then. It's easier to get it to the next level because what you just did is what like systems are made to do is like taking data from one place, transform it into in a digestible way for like the next process. The process will be like allocating accounts, scanning the account and then routing for notification. And then after that, the system just runs itself. You can get an engineer to do it. You can get tools to do it. There's lots of different ways to automate that, but you've proven that it can work, right? And then up to the next one until the first process, you know, needs to be change scale again, right? And I think that's like, Something that a lot of people don't start like that. They tend to either be like, oh, this is kind of like manual work I don't want to do for the rest of my life, which I understand, but that's not the goal. Or it's like, I know what perfect looks like. You know, I read that beautiful blog post on like super blog number one, two, three, right? It's like, I'm just here with my spreadsheet and this person has like a 10 people data engineering team working for them as a not So it's like, how do I bridge that gap? It's like, well, the gap is like doing some of it automated yourself with the tools that you have. And again, the tool that you have today are like, insanely powerful. Like, you know, I mean, I was talking to someone recently who is doing like pseudo regression analysis using GPT, right? So it's like sending a bunch of like CSV power to, to GPT and be like, hey, tell me what all these customers have in common with these ones. And it's kind of like, you know, it's not 100% accurate because it's GPT hallucinating a lot, but like, you know, it was getting like a lot of interesting insight that this person then like put into the simple like marketer point-based scoring system. I'm like, that's pretty awesome that you can do that. Like instead of talking to an engineer that you don't have access, a data engineer that you don't have, or data scientist that you don't have access to, right? Like I think there's a lot of tools like that that are available to us that we can just plug together to make something good enough to prove that it can work, basically. Yeah, one of the things that I think about because again, like coming from the RevOps angle, especially you know in a kind of a down economy, like we we want to try to find ways of like you know how do we help drive additional pipeline, right? And so. I think another great way that you can be scrappy and how you align usage data against customer data is most people, when they sign up a new customer, they'll put, here are the number of licenses that they have, but they don't do anything to prevent someone going over that number, right? Again, you want people to adopt your product. You want them to use more, but at some point, you know, you're going to have clauses in your contract that say, hey, look, if you go over, we're going to be able to invoice you on the overages. But there isn't there's not a really easy way, you know, this is where the data warehouse comes in. And this is a great example of how people can kind of get started to say, okay, I want to take user data, you know, how many licenses are my customers using? And I want to compare it to the number of licenses that they're contracted with. You look at that delta and the ones that have that, you know, high variable, well, those are the ones that you're going to surface as these are my potential upsells. You're going to drive them back to your sales reps to say, hey. Uh, they're licensed for 100, they're using 150. We need to go back to them and go, are you using all 150? Do you just need to chain, you know, just need to update your licenses or do we actually need to invoice you for your difference? You know, you're going to find some people just need to go clean up their licenses and they get, they reduce it and they get another number that they're supposed to be contracted with. But other times you find people that are over and it's a, it is a true upsell. And it's a great example to show that RevOps is driving value by creating pipeline creating these upsell opportunities from doing this data analysis of user data against, you know, contracted usage data, which is typically sitting there in Salesforce. 
No, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's like very much like the low hanging for like, you know, today, every company should be like, you paid for 10, you're using 12, let's have a chat, right? Like some people, KLG company will be like, no, we gate everything, we automate everything. Yes, you know, that's great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, nobody wants to go on a call just to be upselling something for like two that someone will just click a button to do it, right? But like, you can start somewhere. As a business, you're going to extract more revenue from your existing customer, which is current market condition is like the name of the game is like retain revenue and extend revenue if you're really lucky. So I think that's like super good place to, to start. I think once you get into the habit of like thinking about this, it's like how can I use product usage data in different ways? You're going to be able to see like a lot of like different things. Like, you know, like we just took a lot of sell. We can do the same thing on churn. Like, you know, we can do the same thing of like, hey, Six months after implementation for a certain type of software or like, you know, net 30 or something like that, you know, the activation period, what's the deployment possible, right? You know, I've seen people do like an upsell, like account manager upsell opportunities. So it's like, you know, they purchase like 10 licenses, they are using nine. And then, you know, as a, they have a system out there that gets how many people at the organization could be able to use this product by looking on LinkedIn based on job title prospecting, right? And it's like, Oh, wow. They bought 10. They're using nine, but like potentially 28 people should be, could be using. So like a full deployment is like an extra 18 licenses, right? So it's like, and then they use that to basically do what? Well, to score the accounts from account in front of you. And so in the morning, people just wake up and like, okay, cool. My next QBR is going to be with Lean Data. There, I have a potential 18 uh, license. So I need to talk to it with the, my point of contact in a second, but also I need to do run the playbook of like, prospecting the rest of the organization over there to one of the brand awareness of those people because they might not be in the same team, things like that, or just go like straight away to next new team. It's like almost like a call prospecting in the next new team using already the existing usage that I have, right? And so it's like, we went from like two metric, which is how much do you have, how much you paid for to like upselling the remaining one, but also like finding more revenue, right? And so like, that's kind of like how you can easily level by just using simple data set. Like again, you don't have to have like a data scientist behind you, like saying like, your net 30, 30 usage patterns is this, uh, you know, nothing crazy of the sort. Like you just need to. Yeah, it, it, you don't have to get that complicated. You know, there are really, really basic things you can do with the data that's already there. From there, it's like the art of the possible. And you start thinking differently about the data in ways that, you know, you can start doing really creative things, I think. Yeah. yeah, I think this is kind of like where it leads to like the two things, the funny anecdote that I will give here is like when I see people like embracing like kind of like using data to generate all these kind of like opportunities or like insight to be like, hey, we could do more, we can efficient, like we can change the process is actually two things. Like one, the resistance of people to, uh, to change in general is like, well, okay, why are we doing this new way? Like it's actually like more like a change management and people problem or anything else, right? And then the second one, which is kind of like a very funny think coming from marketing myself, like attribution, right? Because you're going to get in something like, hey, you said the upstream like build this report and now we managed to generate X amount of upsell or whatever out of this thing. Then you see upstream basically starting to do tons of things like that, right? And so it's like, which one is actually having an impact? Like, you know, we have this upsell campaign running basically based on usage uh, overage of the seats, right? Then we, like the upstream is also using this thing. And so it's starting to be like, how do you do like almost initiative attribution to level? And how do you do ver versioning of things? Because people will be like, oh, well, so why are you updating the report? Like, you know, I wake up every morning, I look at it, there's a couple of accounts, I go there, don't change some uh, good things. Right? And then, you know, internally you're like, yeah, but it could be more. Like, what about this? And so, and so it's like, how do you do versioning of processes, right? And again, like this is where at the meta level, the ops landscape 
we have no concept of uh, like developer environment, like production. I mean, you know, Salesforce a bit with Sandbox, but like we don't do like phase rollout most of the time across tools. We don't do change versioning. I was talking to a customer. I was like, we want to change our scoring, but how do we do it? Like, you know, I'm like, what do you need to version your score? Like, what do you mean? Well, it's like, you know, you need to add a new feel. Like, you know, then you need to do like a sampling of scoring. And, you know, it's like, whoa, like you just asked me to do a lot of things in Salesforce. That sounds very risky because I don't want to fuck things up in Salesforce, right? So like, you know what? We're just going to keep the current score until it, it doesn't work anymore. I'm like, that is sad that the tooling is stopping you from experimenting in like with your new scoring model, for example, right? Right. It's paralyzing you. Yeah. So I think that's like a, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's a good problem to have because it means like you're using data in lots of different ways, but like, it's interesting that that's kind of like waiting on the other side. Yeah. So before we wrap up, the one thing I wanted to ask, I usually ask everybody, a lot of people end up in RevOps, they come from different parts of the business. Some people come from finance, some people come from sales. You know, there's different angles that they end up in doing the RevOps role, the RevOps function. They find out that they love it. They get a passion for it. You know, what advice would you give someone uh, who's early in their in their RevOps career? Yeah, so I think for me, back in our days, Don, uh, you know, it was like free level. It was like, you know, PPT, right? Like people process technology and it's like, you know, like pick one and become good at one. I would say to me, it's still true, you know? So it's like, I've become good at like communication, change management and project management and like making sure anything can be rolled out and everybody smiles during it. I think that's like a very underrated upskill in general. It's like, you know, managing those kind of the people side of the house, right? I think today technology is like the easiest one to understand and you can go shallow and deep and, and wide and be very good at everything. Like, you know, you don't have to be a Salesforce developer, Apex to be good ops person. Like if you know the Salesforce capability or like, you know, whatever lean data can do, it's good enough, right? I would say like probably don't go super deep technology most of the time. I think the let, like going back to the letters, though, like, I think the one that is missing today is like a D, which is like data. And I would say today, people should like over invest in their data skills. And that means like learning SQLs, learning a bit of Python. Not again, not to be like a, an expert, but like being able to converse with data people and having the basic to be able to edit stuff and putting things together. And you'll see how powerful you can be because this is like a net new skill in any ops team right now. Most people don't write SQL. And so if you're like a new person and you're the one in the obscene world can write SQL and we don't have to talk to the data engineer, you just made yourself like the most critical person in the team because you can go a lot faster. So I think that's one check start your career. And then usually if you look around and you're like, who are the best ops people? Like who are the ops people who get promoted the most, right? Well, it's the people who seek insights into like the data in the system and then go back to their sales manager, VP sales or whatever and be like, hey, you know, I was looking at the data and I found blah. And people were like, wow, we never thought about this, right? And then you're going to change the process with insights and you're going to change how people work, technology being implemented. And again, all of that is because you looked at data and you can manipulate data. So I would say data is probably the most underrated skill set by us people right now. And so it's like easy to have an impact on your team. It's easy to learn, to be honest. Like it's a lot easier than like any coding skills, like, you know, JavaScript or whatever you want to learn. And you have a good impact and it's a long lasting skill. Like, you know, where we're going, data is still going to be the most important skill to uh, understanding data is still going to be important. You know, GPT is not going to replace generating insights tomorrow. I mean, it will maybe at one day, but uh, not in this next career, I, I would say. And GPT is based on data. Like, I mean, it's generated from data. So like having that as a skill set is really important. So 
go to like Udacity, there's a couple of nano degrees for like SQL for business analysts or something like that. Like, you know, very non-super technical course, not to become a data engineer. These are really good fundamental course I recommend everybody to start off with. Yeah. I mean, just get to know enough to be dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you'll see how easy it is to start being able to answer your own questions, like really without having the limitation of like the reporting of your tools. Like how many times have you been in Salesforce, Marketer, or any other tools where you're like, I've got, why can't I do this report this way? Because it's just like, I just want to do a join on this other data set. Like a couple of CSV exports, let's do some VLOOKUP. And, uh, you know, next time you want to run it, you don't know how to do it. Like if you write SQL, you can just do it straight away. That's a fantastic power to have. That's awesome. That's great advice. Again, Zavain, thanks for joining us today on, on the Upstart Podcast. My pleasure. Great. The Upstarts Podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for Upstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.